Well, thank each and every one for that good singing. Uh, it has been a privilege to be asked to open with the first hymn, the service this morning or this evening, and then to open in prayer. So we're going to stand to sing this time and open our service proper with. It's a hymn that you'll not have in the hymn book, but you will see it up on the screen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. I'm sure that most people here will know this tune. And let's really sing it out. The words are filled with great truths uh, and should speak to all of our hearts and encourage all of our hearts what Christ has done for us. So we'll stand to sing uh, in Christ alone. My hope is found. Everybody singing their very best, please. singing. It is encouraging and we thank you for it. We welcome each one along this evening to our special gospel service and also the dedication of young Finlay Gibson. We're glad to see you here. I'm glad to share the pulpit with the Reverend Kyle Paisley who is the other grandfather of Finlay's and is over from Walton Broad and his family's with him here and we welcome each one along. We're just going to open now in a wee word of prayer please and seek the Lord's help tonight in this meeting. We trust that God will speak to you and bless your heart tonight in this service. So let's everyone pray and seek the Lord. <coughs> oh, Heavenly Father, as we bow in thy presence here this evening, we come into thy presence only upon the merits and the worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we have been singing about and praising even this evening already. And Lord, we thank you that here in the power of Christ we can stand tonight because of what Christ has done for us, those who are saved here, those who are born again. We do thank you, Lord, that you ever saved our precious souls from sin. We do thank you for thy presence here with us, guaranteed, Lord, in thy word, that where the two or three are gathered together in thy name, you have promised to be in our midst. 
And O oh, Father, tonight we just ask that we will feel thy presence here with us, that, dear Lord, we will hear thy speaking voice to each one of us here tonight. So many met different people from across this nation are gathered here tonight, and each one's an individual, and each one have their own issues and problems. Each one are facing difficulties perhaps we know nothing about, but we thank you that thou art a God who knows all things. There's nothing hidden from thee. And dear Lord, tonight we just pray that you will meet each one in this meeting tonight at the very point of their need. Oh, Father, we pray that every plan or every scheme of the devil to disrupt or to take people's thoughts away from the truth of the gospel and the truth of thy word, we just pray that the devil's plans will be thwarted tonight by the power of God and that, Lord, you will take complete control of this service. Oh, Father, we just pray that you'll speak to each and every one of our hearts. We pray, Lord, if there be those tonight here in the meeting who are unsaved tonight, Lord, you will challenge them, Lord, and show them their need to indeed fly to Christ, to flee from the wrath that is to come, and that Christ is there, the loving Savior. No, Father, we pray for those that may be cold at heart, those who may be searching for guidance in their lives at this time, or perhaps going through difficulties. We pray that you'll comfort and encourage and bless tonight. Dear Lord, we just pray for thy people. We ask that each one here, Lord, will know a blessing from God tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the boys and girls that are in our congregation. We pray for them, Lord, even in these days. And we thank you again, Lord, for even the blessing of this gift of Finley. And we just pray that tonight, Lord, as he is dedicated unto thee, that he'll be welcomed into the church family here in Colerain. Just like all the other boys and girls who come here. And that, Lord, he'll be loved and prayed for. And we just pray that, O oh God, each boy and girl in our congregation will be saved early in their lives. And, O oh God, that you'll keep them. We pray for the young people of our congregation, many who have gone off to university at this time. O oh God, we just pray, Lord, that you'll be close to them. O oh Father, we pray you'll be a guide to them and an encouragement to them, that, Lord, you'll watch over them and keep them, Lord, indeed, from all the snares that there are in this world and the deceptions that are out there. We just pray that, O oh God, you'll keep them close to thee. And Father, we just pray for those that cannot be with us tonight. You know the different circumstances that many may be facing. There are those that perhaps are in hospital, those who are housebound, and Lord, those that just can't make it for circumstances in their lives. We pray for them tonight as they perhaps are listening in, that, O oh God, indeed you will bless them in their own homes, that, O oh God, you will encourage and strengthen them. Father, now we leave ourselves in your hand. We pray that every single word that's uttered here tonight, Lord, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, Lord, they will be acceptable in your sight tonight. For I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open the Word of God, if you will, at the book of John, John's Gospel. And we're going to read some words from chapter 3. The Gospel of John at the chapter number 3. Our reading commences at verse 1. And we're going to read on down to verse 16, the Gospel of John at the chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, 
How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. May God stamp with his own seal of approval and blessing this public reading from his precious and his infallible word. I'm going to wait upon our brother Stephen McLean to come and give us the announcements at this point. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome along to our gospel service tonight and dedication service here in Coleraine Free Presbyterian Church. It's good to see you here, and to do see a good number of visitors here tonight, those joining us uh, from Peter and Cara's families and also their friends, and we bid you a special word of welcome to this uh, dedication and gospel service tonight. We want to welcome our preacher uh, for today, the Reverend Kyle Paisley, from our Olden Broad Free Presbyterian Church. And of course, it's a, an important family occasion for him also, and, and we trust that he'll know the blessing of God as he brings the word to us this evening. I also want to thank uh, Bethany Paisley for coming along to sing tonight, and we look forward to hearing her ministry and song later in the meeting. Straight after the meeting tonight, there is supper provided for all, so if you're not familiar with the church, if you just go out through the doors and then turn left, uh, towards the church hall, uh, you'll find the refreshments there. So all invited uh, to stay behind tonight for a time of fellowship. Then the announcements for the incoming week is in the will of God as follows. T uh, Tuesday at 8 p.m., the prayer meeting and Bible study, and the Reverend Urban, our inter-moderator, will be along to bring the word on Tuesday night. Friday night at 8, the youth fellowship meet in the youth room, and then the service is next Lord's Day at the usual times, 10 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class, and then the service is 11.30 and 6.30 p.m. when the preacher is the Reverend Alan Smiley. And just by way of prayer request, please continue to remember our brother Trevor Wiley, who's arrived safely in Uganda. Pray for him over the next number of weeks as he takes part in the work of God there. And also, we just ask you to remember Matthew, who goes for a, a scan later in the week, so please do remember him in your prayers also. And then our Balamina Free Presbyterian Church are having their Bible conference commencing on Saturday the 29th of October at 7.30 and continuing through the week uh, right through Monday to Friday each night at 8pm. The preacher, the Reverend John Wagner and the subject is Struggling Saints. So I believe those are all the announcements at this stage made subject to the will of God. So we'll hand back now to the Reverend Paisley. Thank you. We're going to further worship the Lord in the singing of the hymn number 747. And at this particular point, the, the offering for the Lord's work will also be taken up. So it's a lovely hymn. It's appropriate to the occasion. It's not just a hymn. It's really a prayer as well. Oh, give us homes built firm upon the Savior. That should be the prayer of every Christian parent. In fact, the prayer of every parent. We should take the gospel seriously for our own sake and for our family's sake. So bearing that in mind, let's use this hymn tonight as a prayer, and may God help us to mean it as we sing it for Jesus' sake.
committed. Uh, just before the dedication of Little Finlay, I'm going to call upon my daughter Bethany to come now and minister to us in song. Thank you very much, Bethany. I just want to begin by emphasizing the significance of the importance of dedication. Dedication is not a matter of going through the motions, and it's not just a religious ceremony. 
And it's not just about the little one that, whose life is dedicated to the Lord in our prayers tonight. It's also about parents. The parents are the ones that take the vows, make the solemn promises, take their oaths before God. And those vows and promises, those oaths, are every bit as significant and every bit as serious as the vows that you first took here a few years ago on the happy day of your wedding. God calls us all to account uh, for the promises that we make, whether in the company of others or outside their company, God always sees, but especially in his house, that gives it an added solemnity and significance tonight. Some words in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the blessing of God, or the challenge of God, rather, to his people with respect to their children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And they brought young children to Jesus that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and he put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. Do you, the parents of this child, Acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior. I do. Do you promise to bring this, your child, up in the fear, nurture, and admonition of the Lord, and so to order your home that early in life he may be brought under saving influence and Christian grace? I do. Finley Kyle Gibson, I dedicate thee in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, my little friend. Will you open your Bibles once again with me, please, to the book of John, John's Gospel, and to the chapter number 3. The Gospel of John at the chapter number 3. Let us all pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee tonight for the gift of life. We thank Thee, Lord, for the blessing of little Finlay to his mom and dad. We thank thee for the mother's life preserved in the giving of life. And we thank thee for the Christian surroundings into which he has been born. We pray that early in life he will come to know the power of the gospel, to know that Jesus loved him and died for him, to know that he too can have eternal life. And we pray that in a simple childlike fashion, very early in life he'll come to open his heart to Christ. Hear this prayer tonight, Lord. Bless your word to us all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John's Gospel at the chapter number 3. Our text tonight is verse 16. You know the words well. Uh, Even people who are not necessarily churchgoers 
well, I'm sure we'll have heard them on an occasion or two before. Very significant words, the outstanding words in this fourth of the Gospels. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This well-known text of Holy Scripture has been preached upon more often than any New Testament verse, perhaps also more than any verse in the whole Bible. And you see the reference, if not the words, in all kinds of places. I remember from some years ago when I was watching the FA Cup final as the cameras scanned the crowd in Wembley, uh, it came across two men holding up a very large banner with the reference John 3 emblazoned on it in bold type. Anyone trying to do the same thing today might be given short shrift. Uh, you're more likely, I think, to see emblems of the sexual revolution on display at public events than anything truly representative of gospel truth. Such are the days in which we live. And yet, having said that, the good news of Jesus Christ and the wholesome doctrines of the Scriptures are still being preached. And regardless of how they may be despised in some places, the cross of Jesus Christ and the doctrines of the gospel are still the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes them. Now, there are no end of sermons and commentaries and devotional writings on this great text of the gospel. However, it is a common misconception that the most popular Bible verses are the easiest verses to preach on. I mean, what can I say about John 3.16 that hasn't already been said? Of course, at the same time, why should the gospel be easy to preach on? When it is said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, when we turn over those familiar words, sometimes we are so familiar with them that we fail to realize their impact. And sometimes preachers are so familiar with the truth and preaching the truth that the seriousness of it fails to reach their heart. And of course, if the gospel doesn't affect the preacher, it will hardly affect the people. And so that's why I ask praying people in this congregation tonight that as I bring this message, God will help me to feel the truth and then to speak it. I'm going to keep my message brief tonight and I want you to think about three simple things of note from John 3.16. The first is the revelation of God's love. The second is the donation of God's love. And then the icing on the cake is the salvation of God's love. The revelation of God's love, the donation of God's love, and then finally, the salvation of God's love. Let's think of the first of those. Here is the revelation of God's love, spelt out in six short words. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And this verse, of course, begins as the Bible begins. It begins with the Almighty. We open the very first page of Genesis and read this tremendous statement. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And now in John 3.16, the very same God who at first is revealed as the great creator of all things is revealed to us here as the great lover of souls. We might say that it was easy for God to make everything of nothing, although it required uh, supernatural energy and effort, of course. The world is not self-made, as some think, nor was it formed out of already existing material. And the Bible is very explicit about this. It says in Psalm 33, verse 9, He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. We think that it was easy for God. We say that it was easy for God to make the world. But was it easy for God, the same God, to love the world? I put it to you this evening as you think about this that it wasn't easy. And when it's said that God so loved the world, we can more easily understand the concept, I think, than the reality. I mean, after all, the Bible affirms twice over in John's first epistle, it says God is love. And that being so, if God is a God of love, then he is bound to love. Not bound in the sense of constrained or compelled, 
but loving just because he wills to love. We understand the concept, all right. But when we actually think about the object of God's love, that is the thing that brings out the wonder of it. Because when John is talking about the world here, he's using the term in an ethical sense. It's not just the earth itself, but it stands for the people that actually live here. It stands for the whole human race, or as we might put it like this, it stands for the sum total of fallen humanity. That includes every individual in this audience this evening, from the preacher to the very last person in each of the pews. It includes all of us. And what kind of a world are we all part of? Romans describes it thus. He says, now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. Listen to this next sentence. And all the world may become guilty before God. All the world may become guilty before God. And yet it is that very same world. It is that very same world that we're told of in this text that God so loved. That's amazing, isn't it? That God should love a race whose character and behavior are at complete variance with his and people who love to be independent of their maker and rule their own life. The love of God is therefore a wonderful thing and it's wonderful in its scope. You see, when this text says the world, you can take it for granted that it means the world. God means what he says, God says what he means. God so loved the world means exactly that. God loves the world. And only the heart of my God, only the heart of the Almighty, is large enough to take into his consideration the totality of this race and actually at the same time to feel for the whole of humanity. Our attitude, of course, is much different. We are more like Linus and Peanuts who complained bitterly to Lucy. He said, I love mankind, it's just people I can't stand. The love of God is great in its scope. And this love revealed here is also great because it's superior. God's love for us predates and begets any love that any man has for him. Listen to the word of God again tonight. 1 John 4:10. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And there you have, very simply, the revelation of God's love. Here's the second thing. The donation of God's love. Love talked about is easily turned aside. Love demonstrated is much harder to turn aside. God so loved the world it's not just a statement, but there is this demonstration. After the revelation comes the donation. God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave his only begotten son. Now folks, you can give without loving, but it's equally true that you cannot love without giving. And that's especially the case with the God of heaven who has commended his love towards us in this wonderful gift, this greatest of all gifts, this gift of his son. And when we think about this love as a gift, it means it's a privilege. The word gift stresses that thought. This is not something that God owed us. This is not something that God is in any way obliged to give to any man, be he ever so religious. This is something which is given out of God's, bestowed out of God's free, unmerited favor. Therefore, it's a privilege. And that the gift was the gift of his only begotten son means that it is a priceless thing too. God could give nothing more. God could give nothing better. God could give nothing greater than his own perfect and eternal equal. And that brings us to think about the true identity of Jesus Christ, the gift of God. You see that little expression, only begotten, it's very important. It's a translation of the Greek term monogenes. It's not a symbol, rather, uh, I should say, it's not a synonym for beloved, which really just describes the personal affection of God the Father for God the Son. Instead, this very precious word, this very unique word, has to do with the eternal relationship 
between the Father and Son, without which the Lord Jesus could not have said in John 17, Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I stress the point tonight because it's very important. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He is equal in his nature, equal in his power, and equal in his glory with the one who gave him to this fallen world. The Bible is very, very clear about this. Very, very emphatic. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 6 about Jesus Christ, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And his enemies understood exactly what he meant when he called himself the Son of God. John 5, 18 reads, he said also that God was his Father making himself equal with God. And that stresses the pricelessness of this gift. When we read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, he's giving something which is priceless. He's giving himself. Gave also reminds us of the history of divine love. For you see, what John 3.16 is telling us here is told us as a matter of fact. It's stated as a matter of fact. The word gave here is an historical term. I want you to know tonight, and I want you to remember this and take this to heart, that the Bible is not wishful thinking. The Bible is not conjecture. It's not something dreamed up by the church. It's not something invented by a group of clever theologians. The Bible is, and the gospel revealed in the Bible, is actual history. The gospel, eyewitnesses, gospel writers were eyewitnesses of the glory of Christ. They knew the Christ personally. They lived in his presence. They, they saw his great works. They recognized in him that he was no ordinary individual or even just a very special man, that he was Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Like man he walked, like God he talked. His words were oracles, his deeds were miracles. And they give us a corroborated testimony to the true identity of Jesus and his life's work. The testimony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is a witness that cannot be gainsaid nor resisted. So as a matter of fact then, God so loved the world and showed it in the gift of his Son. These days, however, there are no end of churchmen and theologians who tell us differently. They tell us that we can give up history and still retain a belief in God and lofty ethics as well. But I tell you this, and it stands to reason that there's one thing you just cannot do if you forget about history. You can't retain the gospel. It was a great John Gresham Machen, the fighting fundamentalist of Princeton, who said, Gospel means good news. It is tidings, information about something that has happened. In other words, it means history. A gospel independent of history is simply a contradiction in terms. Then again, that word gave also makes us think about the humility of love. What did God actually give his son to? He gave him to a life of service and sacrifice. Listen to the testimony of Jesus tonight. He said, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He humbled himself, humbled himself to obey the very law which he had made and which we had broken. And then he went one step further. Oh, the step further that Jesus went. Another step down. Lower he could not go. The Bible says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The revelation of God's love and the donation of God's love. And then finally, I want you to see the salvation of God's love. This really, as I said a moment or two ago, this really is the, is the icing on the cake. This is the great news that we need to hear. And what a difference it would make in men's hearts and lives and in families, mothers and fathers and their children, if they would only receive this good news and believe it and by the grace of God act upon it. This word is written for you. It's not written to destroy your life. It's written actually to enhance or to give you an aspect in life which you haven't had heretofore and which you can't get in the world. This is something which only God can give. This is real living, that whosoever believeth in him should live with a life that no one else, that can get nowhere else, shall live with everlasting life. 
Folks, God did not give his only begotten son to be a mere example. He gave him to be an atonement for sin. And could I say to you, no matter how religious you are, no matter how committed to humanitarianism and the such like you are, regardless of all of those things or in spite of all of those things, you cannot save yourself. Being a good free Presbyterian will not save you either. Commitment to the church and the services of the church will not save you. Taking the sacraments of the church will not save you. Being a good Protestant, a good loyalist, commitment to all of those things will not bring you one iota closer to God Almighty and heaven. No, no, you can't save yourself. And in fact, what you count as your best, all of your best, a totality of all of your best, the totality of all of your best, God says in his word that he utterly rejects as filthy rags. If you're trying tonight to find acceptance with God by your own efforts, you know what you're doing? If you haven't thought about it, this is what you're doing in effect. You're throwing the life and death and resurrection of God's Son back in His face, and you're really saying to God the Father, you should have never sent Him. It's not for me. And the consequence of this is awful, because this text speaks about the extremes of destiny. It talks about perishing as well as everlasting life. Do you know what that means? doesn't mean annihilation, regardless of what the men from the kingdom hall come to your door and say, regardless of what other cultists in this day say. Perish does not mean annihilation. The idea is not extinction, but ruin. It's not loss of being, but it is loss of well-being. In other words, we're talking here about eternal misery. Does that sound harsh to you? Does that sound heavy? On your mind? C.H. Spurgeon answered, he said, What can be too severe a penalty for those who reject the incarnate God and refuse his mercy? God's indignation is no trifle, and to have it poured upon us is inconceivably dreadful. However, do you notice the words at the end? Should not perish. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have. Did ever you hear the like of this? but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. I pray, God, that it matters to you. And if it's never mattered to you, may God make it matter to your heart just now. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is this to believe? To believe is more than just to accept the historical facts regarding Christ. It means to come to him, even while he calls you. It is to confess your sin to him. You don't need another priest, seeing this priest has got nail prints on his hands. It's to confess your sin to this priest. It's to acknowledge that you stand justly condemned for your sin, but that by dying in your place, he is your only hope. To believe this Christ is to embrace him. It is to come to him. It is to embrace him. It is to cling to him. It is to say from the depth of your need, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, in the moment that the sinner does that, he begins to live unto God with a life which is inextinguishable, which survives death, which brings him home to heaven. This everlasting life includes everything that heaven can give. And I put it to you that you would be a fool to miss it because everything is wrapped up in this wonderful gift of God. There's a story told, some of you may have heard it before, about a very wealthy man and his son who loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection, many masterpieces from Picasso to Raphael, and they would often sit together and admire the great works of art and talk, talk over them. But then the Vietnam conflict broke out and the son went to war. A very courageous boy died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was informed and deeply grieved for his son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hand and said, Sir, you don't know me. But I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart. 
and he died instantly. He often talked about you, sir, and your love for art. And then the young man held out that package, and he says, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of a son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his boy in the painting. And the father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. And he thanked the young man and he offered to pay him for the gift, for the picture. He said, no, I, I, could, I could never accept that. I, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's just a gift. The father hung the portrait of his son on the mantel. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see that portrait first before he showed any of the other great artworks in his collection. And then one day, the old man himself died. There's going to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing these great paintings and having an opportunity to actually purchase one and add them to their own collection. On the platform that day, there sat one painting at the beginning. There sat the painting of the sun. And the auctioneer pointed his gavel and he said, we'll start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice shouted from the back of the room, we want to see the famous painting. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who'll start the bidding? $100 perhaps? $200? Another voice shouted out angrily, We didn't come to see this. We came to see the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still the auctioneer continued, sounding out his word again. The sun, the sun. Who, who'll take the sun? And then finally from the back of the hall there came that a voice, it was a long-time gardener of the man and his son. He said, I, I'll give you $10 for the painting. He was only a poor man. It was all he could afford. The auctioneer again said, we have $10. Who will bid $20? Give it to him for 10 Give it to him for 10 Let's see the masters. The crowd became angry. They didn't want the picture of the son. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collection, but he kept going and going and going. Going once, going twice, sold for $10. A man sitting in the second row shouted out, Now, let's get on with the real collection. But then the auctioneer did something which wasn't expected. He laid down his gavel and he said, I'm sorry, folks, the auction is over. Well, what about the paintings? He said, I'm sorry, when I was called to this auction, to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I wasn't allowed to reveal that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned, and whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the masterpieces. The man who took the sun's painting gets everything. My dear friends, tonight in this church, God gave a son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for your sin. And much like the auctioneer, my message today is this, and God's message moreover to you is this, the Son, the Son, who'll take the Son? Because you see, when you get the Son, you get everything. The Bible says, God who spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And you will miss out on everything if you miss out on the gift of God's only begotten Son. Don't be a fool. Don't push him away. Don't reject him. Well, you know the consequence of it, don't you? This text talks about perishing. Are you going to be a fool and perish when you hear the seriousness of the message? And you've heard it, some of you have heard it many times before. Are you going to push God away? and lose the call of the Holy Ghost to your heart and drift off into total spiritual indifference until the day that you wake up in a lost eternity. Oh, hear again the message tonight. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Take it to heart, and I pray you make sure you do something about it tonight. Let us bow our heads together as we pray. Lord, we do thank thee tonight for this special occasion. 
We thank thee, Lord, for the little life that has been dedicated to you in prayer, whose parents have taken their solemn vows before thee. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them grace to keep their promise, and that early in life this little boy may know the power of the gospel. We pray, Lord, for the word read and preached, and the messages and song that we have heard, and the singing of the hymns collectively too. Just bring all of that truth together and cause it to be a word of salvation to precious souls here tonight. We do give you thanks for all your temporal mercies also, and we pray that in our time together when this service is through, you'd help us to eat and drink to thy glory. Hear this, our prayer. We offer it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.